listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam Territory in Vancouver. This is the Art Support with your host, Ileana, and we have a special interview. We're going to have our reporter, Margarita, just kind of get ready for it. Ready? Um, Yeah. It's nice to see. It's nice to not see. I can't see anyone, but it's nice to be back on air. Right, Margarita? <laughs> Did you miss the show? Was it a long, long week? It was a without l- us? long, long week without you, but it might be because of finals. It's uncertain. Well, nobody knows. I'm very scared and terrified. <laughs> me too, me too. As other people are. But, but we have a guest today. Yeah, let's like push away that fear and get ready for something everyone loves and everyone enjoys. True, what is that? Bubblegum! Bubblegum, chewing gum, yes. So we have a special guest today. Hi. Um, uh, you, uh, Do you want to introduce yourself first? Sure, my name is Hannah Jickling. I am an artist who uh, I collaborate a lot with my partner, Helen Reed, and we have been developing a project called Big Rock Candy Mountain at Queen Alexandra Elementary School for the past three years. So Mm -hmm. we have been making chocolate bars and gum and producing all kinds of other events there as artists. Wow. How has that started and what's the artistic aspect of what you're doing? Um, there are many. So it's a research intensive uh, project. So many artists include very intense research periods as part of their work. And in this case, the research is produced with students. And that's everything from the ingredients that are included in confections, learning about them, deciding what we want to be in our own. And then um, design. So there's kind of, it overlaps with curriculum design in a way but also it functions as an artist multiple so an an artwork that's produced as more than one that can move and disseminate throughout the world so we produced 3,000 so far of this edition so there's it kind of fits into many different art histories or precedents for artistic practice. What um, what do you mean precedents? Um, Because you can't can't see. I'm yeah. gonna tell you that uh, Hannah's shown us like a really really cool product of uh, Bubble Trouble. Uh, maybe we can post it on a. Fa- on yeah, our we'll Facebook. definitely post it. On like a very colorful, <laughs> fun uh, packaging for uh, the bubble gum that was developed together with the students, mm-hmm. right? Um, so do you want to tell a little bit more about uh, what did you mean with like the precedents that you're setting? Sure. Yeah. I mean, since. Um, since maybe the 60s or 70s, artists started to explore cereal production. So the idea that you wouldn't necessarily make one kind of precious object or painting or sculpture, but that media could be disseminatable. Um, so this also tied into histories of mail art and all kinds of exchange networks that, that artists developed to exchange ideas and exchange artwork. And so, in some ways, Artist Multiple was seen as an expansion of publication practices, but also as um, a way to, quote-unquote, democratize art so that it Mm -hmm. could move in many different directions. So it wasn't just one singular collectible object or a a limited edition, but multiples that supposedly could be, um, could could dissent. 
uh, reproduce well more likely more like um, disseminate over like broader kind of demographics or groups mm. of people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of, of makes precedent? me think of uh, pop art, Andy Warhol, yeah. Campbell Soup, Marilyn Monroe posters, um, duplication of art. Like also asking, what is the place of art in a world where everything is du- duplicatable after mm-hmm. the invention of the camera? Right. Yeah, so this is definitely piggybacking on other kind of mass production, mass products that we see, but piggybacking in a way that it inhabits that form but changes something about it. So there's, I would say, it it looks like legitimate bubblegum, but mm-hmm. it does something very different in in the development of the product. And so the inside of the package I'm just describing now has a bunch of the research notes from the students as the product was developed. And you guys are welcome to try it out if you want. I'm going to read some of them out. What what made you decide to use bubblegum as the thing that you were thinking of? A big part of our practice is also negotiating... um, negotiating ourselves into unlikely situations or kind of um sticky situations yes <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was there and i had to do it yeah. uh or also kind of giving voice or possibility to the preposterous in a way so as you can imagine developing gum in an elementary school isn't something that would normally be um uh, encouraged let's say (laughs) and so there was actually something in that challenge we were interested in is how do we take this material that is very sticky it's very difficult it's kind of a menace to public infrastructure how can we negotiate that into this place and make it really positive and so when we began developing it we had a kind of gum town hall which is like why why do we why are we discouraged from chewing gum in school? And what else are we discouraged from doing in school? What other substances are we not allowed to have in school and why? So it starts to bring this element of responsibility um, into the product and the project. A thing I kind of liked about using bubblegum as uh, your focus is that kind of bubblegum is like, st- it's been around for generations and it's still like super popular and it's like that kind of almost connection with how like school life school has like changed from the past to the present now as everything changes but like I feel like bubblegum has been like a staple that even though it changes it's still like around like that's what yeah that's what school is you know like you when you see someone have gum you're like automatically on that yeah so I, I think that was a, that's really interesting. Did you, like, think about that kind of connection? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And people have been chewing gum for thousands <laughs> yeah. of years. So um, there's this kind of, like, somatic quality to it. And obviously it's very tactile. And we've been spending a lot of time in elementary school, obviously. And the kind of tactile quality of things that kids bring to school. So, like fuzzy pens and pencils or stress balls that you can squish. Mm -hmm. Like there is this kind of um, 
element of tactility that wouldn't be in the official curriculum, but is also like everywhere in school. So acknowledging kind of the importance of that. I mean, we're doing that in one way through gum, and it's also a great learning tool and a way to focus for a lot of students. It is, and and at the same time, it's very troublesome. <laughs> so we definitely looked into kind of the history of like who's been chewing gum, what kinds of what different kinds of resins people chew around the world, and some of the history of that. Oh, that's so cool! <laughs> I just want to read out some yeah, of the research. I'm just going to describe the inside of the, the packaging. Once you open it, uh, you have a few pictures of gum and different uh, consistencies and shapes, which is kind of fun because also it's demonstrating, uh, showing something that you don't usually want to look at, right? And so that's nice, kind of like portraying it in a fun, poppy way. And also there is just like an assortment of words here. So we have sensory information, hard chew, polymers, waxes, softeners, Zigzag Zap Highway. Sapodilla. <laughs> what is Sapodilla? It's the name of the tree that chicle is derived from. Mm, like uh, the original gum, I guess? Uh, it was original in in uh, Central and South America. Mm. It was a substance that people chewed, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, this is so cool. So you get to kind of see not only kind of what makes gum but like the the history of it when you're like looking up the mm-hmm. items mm-hmm. oh man so if someone are you are you selling these products? yep yeah so they are currently available at the western front which is a gallery in east vancouver on 8th avenue just east of kingsway so those are for sale there until December 15th. And then in the new year, we'll have a list of locations also in East Vancouver where they can be purchased. Oh. Students have set a price at two ninety nine plus tax. Nice. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. What is this about? It says on the top, natural, unnatural, natural. With yeah. arrows connecting them. <clears throat> so this is a product that kind of fluctuates in and out of our conceptions of what natural, unnatural, and natural is. Um, in particular, that came up when we were designing the flavor for the product. So we worked with a flavorist who uh, lives and works here in Vancouver. And the kind of the top flavor that the students voted on was a mixture of natural and unnatural flavors, hmm. quote unquote. But these natural and unnatural designations um, are contested in a way, especially when you talk to a flavor scientist, because flavors are made of chemicals mm-hmm. that can be reproducible, mm-hmm. then and and chemically, molecularly exact to the original. Then the question becomes a little more nuanced about what is natural and what is yeah, unnatural. Yeah, if it's a banana flavor, but it is still a flavor. Is yeah, and and um, we had an amazing flavor scientist, just because you said banana flavor, we had a flavor huh. scientist, um, <laughs> sorry, a flavor historian come oh, visit. Nice. Uh, oh my God, that sounds like the coolest Two years thing ago, ever. yeah, and she has a lot of interesting research about banana flavor in particular and how it arrived in the United States. I heard that uh, the banana flavor that we know is actually based on a different type of banana yeah. that is now extinct. Yes. I don't know if it's extinct, but it's not 
kind of commercially available in the U.S. Yeah. So, yes. It's pretty interesting what we perceive as the marking, like the, the symbol of a certain thing, though it doesn't symbolize that thing at all. Yeah, yeah. And so with uh, the artificial banana that we know of today, like say in candies or cough syrups, yeah. is derived from, I'm forgetting the name of the the kind of banana, but it was more readily available than actual bananas. Yeah. So the kind of quote-unquote artificial flavor preceded the quote-unquote real flavor of bananas in the United States. And uh, it also says um, choose your own texture on the top of the packaging. Mm -hmm. What is that about? So the gum uh, in this package, I'll just open it, it is the flavor that we designed carried in two different gum bases and this is um, this is kind of a window into the research that we produce with, with the kids. So we introduce chicle, natural chicle, uh, and waxes as one possible base, as well as different bubblegum bases. And mm -hmm. so there was kind of a split in terms of wanting to work with the natural chicle because we had some sense of where it came from, which was from um, from Guatemala. And and then the other split was that some students just wanted to be able to blow really good bubbles. So this goes back <laughs> to the kind of like tactility mm -hmm. question. And so what we decided on the end is to host the same flavor in two different carriers textures. and two different textures. So you can chew them separately or you can chew the gum, chew the chicle and the bubble gum base together. And so it like um, invites this exploration of, of texture. It's like yeah. a choose your own adventure <laughs> with yeah. bubble gum. Yeah. Yeah. I like that also because yeah. it's kind of the opposite of the commercially available. Usually there like if there is a brand of bubble gum, you would choose a flavor, but the consistency is supposedly the same for different flavors. Yeah. Here you have the same flavor but the texture also yeah. of course on what you said about tactility and the I don't know, maybe it also has to do with kids, but I think it also has to do with uh, grown-ups about how we experience, like, just the physical world. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely yeah. seems like uh, your working with the kids was able to, like, greatly influence a lot of uh, stuff that you did with the bubblegum, uh, your bubblegum project. Um, how was it having that, like, extra voice into the project? Um, it's a huge part of our practice uh, as we've kind of developed it over the past six years is we have chosen very specifically to put ourselves in conversation and consultation with young people, particularly in a public school system. So it's absolutely about them in a way. And I, it's, it's edited. Um, and so our authorship is very present. But I would say working with young people through these kinds of ideas and issues is really central to the practice. So we find it very important. Yeah. What were other projects that you did before that? You mentioned other. Uh, yeah. Um, we started with the idea of Big Rock Candy Mountain, so that this was a song that was developed in the United States around um, the Great Depression. So it's kind of. The lyrics kind of paint a picture of this hobo paradise where there's whiskey trickling down the rocks and 
the police have uh, what is it wooden legs and the bulldogs have rubber teeth Something like this. So it spells out this kind of land of plenty, but also an absence of authority. Hmm. So our interest was to think about what Big Rock Candy Mountain could mean in the context of an elementary school. So there there are kids' versions of the song also. It's like you don't have to do your homework, and you don't have to change your socks, and you can get any pet you want hmm. from the pet store. And so we also wanted to know what kind of a lack of authority also would look like in a new version of Big Rock Candy Mountain at Queen Alexandra Elementary School. So we started with the song initially and then produced these exaggerated images of what Big Rock Candy Mountain would be. And so kind of on the back end, that was a series of image-making workshops with the students where we were producing trick photography or also making these lies kind of in Photoshop or these exaggerated stories. Hmm. So that was one project and another project um, had a similar result in that we produced a chocolate bar with students which is still available to purchase at East Van Roasters and read books and that was um, that was about a three-month research project with a grade three, four class, and it ended up, the chocolate ended up being host to these different sour flavors. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So when did you start this collaboration with the... Um, I think we wrote our, began writing our first grant at the end of 2014, and then began in the fall of 2015. So it's been about three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. How long did it take to develop this uh, gum? This uh, took a year. And I should say that we have several funders who helped produce the project. So first was a grant from the BC Arts Council for a youth initiatives grant. Mm-hmm. Um, and second was a large commission from the city of Vancouver that helped support the development of the project. So we were able to do research and production for about a year. That's cool. Yeah. I have one last question Mm -hmm. before we have to go to our ads and PSAs. Do now the kids know how to make gum by themselves? Yeah, they would have to. (laughs) They're very internet savvy, so we did make gum together at the beginning of the research. And, yeah, all you have to do, actually, glee gum makes gum kits that you can order online. This was produced by a manufacturer, um, but it is a fun experiment. If you want to make your own gum, you can order a kit online and then play with all kinds of crazy flavors and colors (laughs) that you can get at Gourmet Warehouse or other specialty food uh, stores. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming. Uh, Big trouble, bubble trouble. Um, which would might become a big trouble if you do it like too much. Big is big rock candy mountain. Big rock candy <laughs> mountain. Any other project? Mm-hmm. Um, it's going on in East Van. Yeah, um, it's available. There's a show related to the idea of mouthfeel, and that's the title of the exhibition at Western Front. And the gum is available available to purchase at Western Front until December fifteenth. Awesome. So cool. go out and g- go back to your childhood and get some gum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And we'll Thanks. be back with some ads and, uh, from ads and PSAs, and then we have our Jawbone segment. So see you guys in a bit.
Flemish art recording artist Preoccupations returned to Vancouver on December 15th. Preoccupations is joining forces with Proto Martyr and Hurry Up for a legendary night at Venue, presented by Blueprint Live. Get your tickets today through bplive.ca. That's bplive.ca. International is a non-profit, non-partisan organization working towards informed, citizen-driven internet policy. Open Media believes in keeping the internet uncensored, open, innovative, secure, and providing universal access to fast and affordable networks. If you would like Open Media to keep campaigning for citizens and internet policy, you can donate to them at openmedia.org or openmedia.ca. You can also find them on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning, down the track came a hobo hiking, and he said, boys, I'm not turning, I'm headed for a land that's far away, beside the crystal fountains, so come with me, we'll go and see the big rock candy mountains, in the big rock candy mountains, there's a land that's fair and bright, where the handouts grow on bushes, and you sleep out every night, where the boxcars all are empty, and the sun so that was Candy, the Big Rock Candy Mountain uh, by Harry McClinton with guitar. And it was from the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack because I love that movie. And when I saw that they had that song, I was like, gotta play it. And especially because we had such a great uh, guest come on with Bubblegum. I mean, that's great. I love Bubblegum. Bubble Jubble. I'm like, it's just fun. I love them. Also, it made me, when she was talking about the kind of, like, how it's not accepted, I was thinking about how in Seattle, if you go there, there's, like, this huge wall covered oh. in bubble gum. It's really gross, but a lot of people go out to check it out because it's, like, I don't know. It's just like a phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's art. And to contribute. Don't and, forget the <laughs> contribution and, part, like, because I left my mark there. <laughs> oh, my God. So tell it away. Uh, but like the city doesn't like it, so they like like I don't know if they do this a lot. Do they, they try like, to fight it? They like they get like high powered water stuff, That's so water fun. guns, and they like like wash it away, and then but it like continues on. So I was like, I really I, that's really interesting. That was Super really cool. Funny. I'm definitely gonna have some. Um, now we're gonna go to our jawbone segment with Jake Clark. I hope you guys enjoy it, and then we'll be back. See you guys. Bye. Broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. And this is the Jawbone with Jake Clark. You probably already knew that. Uh, what you probably didn't already know is that we are interviewing Patrick Rizzotti today, UBC professor and currently working on a show, Her, H-I-R, with Pi Theater, a very interesting show uh, with some very pressing themes to it. Patrick, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Can't complain, life is good. It actually is a sunny day in Vancouver this time around, so I'm it thrilled. Is, it is, isn't it, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about Her? Is that is that the correct pronunciation of it? It's actually pronounced Here. Uh, here, okay. Yep, H-E-R-E, sounds like Here, uh, spelled H-I-R. Uh, it's, you know, it's a fantastic piece by Taylor Mack. Pi Theater is taking a, um, a big step forward 
I think presenting this peak, uh, this piece, right? They're they're known for their sort of out of the box boundary pushing theater, uh, and with this piece, the focus is really on uh, family, right? They don't often do family dramas, living room dramas, um, which this sort of is in a way. An extremely dysfunctional family and in this case. <laughs> absolutely, an extremely dysfunctional family. Uh, according to uh, to what I've heard about it, this involves a serviceman, uh, Isaac, played by Victor Dolhai, uh, returning home from war to find that his father is disabled, his mother is on a radical feminist tear, and that his younger sister is uh, transitioning. Absolutely. All of those things happening at one time. Could you imagine coming home from, from years away? To... It might be a bit of a surprise. Yeah, uh, which is exactly the premise of the play, right? And then, of course, there are deeper themes about how we as people, how we as family members, how we as society look uh, on these kinds of changes, uh, changes with um, sexuality, changes with gender, changes with um, a, a system that is traditionally um, sort of seen through a, a, male's, a white man's point of view. Um, it deals with all of that. And regarding the point of view specifically here, because I'm interested in the serviceman plot here, mm -hmm. with uh, Mr. Dolhai playing Isaac, how did you approach that? Because that is obviously a very provocative way to center the play. That's uh, sort of at the heart of all of their journeys. Um, and so through the eyes of, of Isaac in this particular story, he is coming back from a, a pretty terrible situation, right? He was in the, um, the mortuary affairs in which he picked up body parts. He picked up uh, soldiers' body parts to return them home. You know, and, and him, the, the passion there, the honor there was uh, he gives these people a place to rest. He sends them home to a peaceful resting place. Um, and that's what he expects when he comes home is a peaceful resting place. Uh, or maybe not resting place, but a peaceful home. Um, that's orderly. That's the way he left it. Um, and he doesn't get that. When and he comes home. you've got his mother force-feeding his father estrogen and dressing up as a clown. Yeah, absolutely. This is just what I hear from the press release, so I'm not sure if that happens just at one point, like if he arrives and boom, that's the situation. Fun that, times. Uh, that's, that's how the play starts. The play starts with uh, Isaac returning home Ooh. to this chaotic environment. Again, expecting yeah. that sense of peace and order, uh, and he steps into the opposite of that. Now, I want to talk about your uh, work on this uh, for a second, specifically because you're working in art direction. Uh, art direction or set design, it's typically called yeah. set design for theater, art direction for television. Because, yeah, and then you've worked in both, like, according to your CV, you've worked in both the Pittsburgh Opera and America's Got Talent. And I'm wondering uh, what sort of similarities and differences there are between art direction for television versus for the stage. Um, there are a lot of similarities in that they all deal with human beings in space, um, you know, in a physical space. Actors, um, whether as they're on the ethereal, as a, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, moving around a space, you know, sound um, tends to have this this beautiful sense of timing to it. Lights um, has this beautiful sense of of moving time with it. Scenery traditionally doesn't have that same sense of moving time around. Um, we're dealing with how people move around the space, as opposed to how time um, sort of is shown as moving through through the storyline. So the similarities are that, right? I'm dealing with, with the human body and moving them around a location, uh, designing a location that helps tell the story that the playwright or whoever wrote the TV episode is trying to tell, or the musician, uh, in the case of America's Got Talent, or the magician, in the case of America's Got Talent. This, the pace is incredibly different. Um, in theater, the team here, uh, the creative team here got a chance to sit down with each other, think about the story. How do we want to approach the story? How are we going to tell the story? Let's show each other some options. Um, we showed it to the cast. The cast was, was integral in helping us realize the smaller moments of the piece uh, in here. You know, it's, it's really about them. It's a playground for them and how, how their world um, collapses and or is, is built back. Uh, and so we had the opportunity to slow things down 
and talk about it and figure it out together. Uh, in television, we do that at a, at a somewhat high level, but then once we are off and moving, it just keeps moving, and we have to make very quick decisions very fast that, you know, have perhaps less less impact on the overall image sometimes. Yeah, if you're, especially if you're live dealing with multiple cameras, like that's, you know, it's a tough consideration. Yeah, absolutely. What sort of aesthetic has that created for this show, would you say? What should we be expecting if we when we show up to see this? You know, that's sort of uh, a really interesting point. I, I tend to work on two different types of shows. Uh, one is, is really the, the interior, the living room drama, right? Doors, moldings, windows, naturalism. Um, everything is, there's a sense of honesty to things. The other type of show I tend to work on, uh, there's a sense of heightened reality or poetry to things, right? Perhaps the space isn't fully realized the way one would expect a radio studio, a radio studio to look um, or a living room to look. Uh, this is is the former. This is um, a, a realized space. These are honest people. They are in an, an unusual situation, uh, and they are certainly have pushed the boundaries of uh, emotional limits or mental limits or physical limits. But their space is honest. The story is about space, coming home to what you expect and finding something different. Um, and so there is a sense of honesty there. You, you, when you play that so realistically, it does heighten the sort of social impact of it, which is interesting because like when you have the scenario described here, like again, the disabled father being fed estrogen dressed up like a drag clown, that sounds like something that happens in Jordan Peterson's nightmares. <laughs> and actually kind of apropos of that, uh, one of the performers, the performer playing Max, uh, who is a um, who is transitioning in the play is Jordan Fowley who is herself, uh, is herself trans. And I, I sort of have a question about that because there has recently been an increase in representation for trans performers and for trans stories in a way that I would say is comparable to the emergence of uh, gay theater and uh, art in general in the 70s and onward. And I'm wondering, just as someone who's dealing with the aesthetics of a production that, pro that concerns that as a matter of course, how you see that sort of unfolding. Yeah, that's a really great question. I struggled with that a lot, right? How do I approach this piece? Um, I, I am a pretty heteronormative person, right? And so this deals, and I was, I, I never served in a military, um, and I, uh, you know, my relationship with, with my family is quite different than the relationship that this family has. And so uh, it was a big challenge for me to approach this honestly, delicately. Uh, how do I, how do we see this through the eyes of, of somebody who has served in a in an overseas war, or a person who is transitioning from one gender to the next, or uh, a wife who has been in an abusive relationship with her husband for 25 years, um, or a man who is in his, you know, should be sort of looking towards the end of his, his career and into retirement, only to be uh, struck down with, with an illness that puts him somewhere very differently. Um, so for, for me, it was a lot of uh, question asking, right? I asked a lot of questions of, of people that were in um, similar situations, or I've, I've got several friends who are transitioning or have transitioning, have transitioned from one gender to another. Uh, and so for me, it was, it was asking them, what did it feel like for you? What was home like? What did, um, was it a comfortable space? Was your, were your parents accepting? Uh, and if so, how did that manifest itself in the home? Uh, did it manifest itself in the home or outside of the home? Or what drove you to find a comfort in your home that you couldn't find at school or in the workplace? Um, so creating that world, right? Creating a world for, for those types of, for that safe space to exist. Um, and that's sort of the, the visual journey of this play. We open uh, sort of in Paige's world. Again, it's topsy-turvy. 
Isaac comes home to find what was once structured in total chaos and disorder. Paige is the mother. Paige is the mother. Played by Deb Williams. Yep, thank you. Paige is the mother. Um, So the world that was orderly is is totally obliterated in Act 1. We did that through some themes. Um, The father, uh, we chose to make the the rigid world stripes, vertical lines, um, plaids, things that have right angles, colors that are somewhat muted. Um, and then we're so, both wearing plaid yeah, shirts yeah. But we'll <laughs> as, we, as we both look down at our shirts. Yep. Well, uh, there and we are. So when we start Act One, the muted linear world is, is covered in colorful circles, balls, spheres, things that sort of abrupt that norm, uh, what was considered norm, our base. Uh, and as we move through the show, that gets changed. That's interesting because there was a similar set design approach. And I don't know if you've seen Much Ado About Nothing, mm-hmm. uh, the UBC Theater's Much Ado. Yeah. The set design for that is two sets. One is very uh, linear, very ja- sort of very uh, Romanesque design. The other one is lots of circles and arches, uh, supposed to represent the duality of masculine and feminine. Absolutely, uh, and I think it's sort of a trend. Right, theater is written like television a lot these days. Really, uh, Much Ado is perhaps not, and actually here is is written like a living room drama in the sense that we are in one location, but. We have to ask ourselves, how do we dig a little bit deeper, right? The playwright tells us, there's a door stage left. There's a staircase upstage right. Um, I think to do the audience, uh, it's a disservice to just ignore the emotional aspect of some of these plays now. We're in a time and a place where we're dealing with changing emotions, different feelings, different people are coming to the theater, I think, expecting to be challenged and pushed, perhaps in different ways. So any way that I, as a visual artist, can help support that, um, I like to push those limits. So for this, for this, for here, it was stripes and circles. That's what we, the director Richard and I sort of brought it right back down to that. Stripes, linear shapes, disrupted by circles and spheres. Well, if you want to see this disruption, you can definitely check out the show, which is uh, going from November 22nd to December 8th at the Vancouver Civic Theater's Annex. It's on Seymour Street, yeah? Yes. Well, we'll have to check it out. Absolutely. Please do. Patrick, it was terrific to have you in. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Hello, and now we're back here. I love that Jake talked about Much Ado About Nothing. Cause guess Why? Are you going to talk about Much Ado About Nothing? Uh, I know. What? Oh what? Why? You guys really didn't expect that? <laughs> about Much Ado About Nothing? <laughs> it's more likely than you think. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about Much Ado, doing a little review about Much Ado About Nothing. Um, but first, we're going to do um, some... Also, a quick review of the gum, because we all just ate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We did try... We did give a... Uh, if you guys weren't here for the first segment, uh, we were talking to uh, Hannah Jickling yeah. uh, about her and her partner's work, Bubble Trouble. And she gave us a sample of the Bubble Trouble. And I have to... So there were, like, two pieces of gum in it. Yeah. Same flavor, different texture. Yeah. Yeah. Diff- one gray one, one purplish one. And then the gray one was like a waxy, more texture. And then the purple one, a more traditional, very chewy, like making bubble texture, I guess. Yeah. If you can make bubbles. Yeah. Both, of them, both of them had kind of interesting textures to them when you're chewing them. Uh, at like the very start of it, at least. Um, I was kind of interested in like why she chose that kind of shape because it was like a, it's like a dull purple and then the other one's like a really dull gray and they're both done in like a it wasn't really gray it was like gray pinkish i guess gray pink. pinkish i guess uh but they were both but it was like an interesting um sample it was an interesting kind of 
decision, I think, because they usually like gum is either like super white or they're like super colorful. Yeah. So I, I thought that was. I wish we could have. Man, I wish you could have talked to her more <laughs> tell her we have time. Um, yeah, I. Which one did you guys like more? Um, I, I think I like the purple, like the more traditional one. Yeah. I have a thing against wax because as a person that wore braces for like years and years and years, <laughs> you do have like ones you put on the, the oh, like yeah, the yeah. full on thing. You have the little wax that you have to put on your, th- on your, on your braces, so you d- it doesn't like harm you while you're getting used to it. And like just the fact that it's kind of like waxy like i've chewed too much wax in my lifetime to be comfortable with it hmm. that was the exact opposite of me i had i had braces too uh and i refused to use the wax because i did not know how to do it so i was just like you know what i don't care i'm fine with my suffering I'm fine with bleeding <laughs> yeah no it was too i would like not on stuff like a dog oh my god because i was like i need to get used to this pain yeah i wore uh-huh. it for way too many years for me to do that what about you i have a thing with gum because i have a lot of work done on my teeth so like sometimes it would pop my 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 fillings out so i usually don't chew gum <laughs> i almost told her that but i didn't so now i'm like kind of carefully chewing this i think i like the, the purpler one better like the traditional chewy because the wax kind of like it it kind of breaks down instead of compacting in, right? Um, like we were discussing, me and Lua, uh, during the jawbone segment. <laughs> um, kind of wish it was more flavorful. Well, it's not even more flavorful. I just wish it was, like, more, like, powerful. Because it's, like, it's a really nice flavor, actually. Like, it's really um, berry-like. But it's not, like, you don't get that, like, But lasting. it's not, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not, like wow mint it's like oh this is a nice berry flavor like it doesn't explode yeah, yeah. and i think the per- the waxy one had less flavor or like the flavor was less like attached to it i that think than the other one i unlike so, my <laughs> actually liked the gray one better i think it's because i thought it, it was a lot more different than the purple one i feel like i just like I've had purple one. I'm underst- I am. I know it. I'm friends hmm. with it. Um, <laughs> but the gray one was a, a lot different texture. It was kind of like a rough texture to it. Yeah. And I don't know. I thought it was a lot more interesting. But I guess you guys can choose uh, which one's your favorite. Yeah. And then like. Choose just texture. Yeah. yeah. Take a picture of your favorite one and of the bubble trouble. And then, like, hit us up. Tag us. Yeah, don't trust us on our opinion to go out there and buy a pack (laughs) and try it out, you know? And then you can see what camp is the best camp. Uh, Great. (laughs) Great for life. (laughs) Okay, we're going to come back uh, after some ads and PSAs, doing some shoutouts and reviews. Also talking about what to do about nothing again. Hopefully the last time. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully. Bye. Are you considering a master's degree? Launch your career with a master's in digital media. It's offered by UBC, SFU, Emily Carr, and BCIT. And you get to work with the industry to learn essential collaboration, leadership, and teamwork skills while building digital media products. Learn more about this at an online webinar on December 6th. 
For more information, visit the cdm.ca. That is thecdm.ca. Are you a friend of ours who loves to get discounts? Come down to CITO, more deals than you can count. We've partnered with some local businesses. So come down to us to get your card before it's too late. As a member of CITR Discord, you get amazing deals with some of Vancouver's finest local businesses, such as Coroner's Pub, Australian Boot Company, The Bike Kitchen, Rufus Guitar Shop, Vinyl Records, and The Cinematech. For more information, visit citr.ca forward slash friends. And we're back. So we got a shout out for you before we go to our reviews. Yeah, so this week from today until the 24th, which is Sunday, right? <laughs> Honestly, uh, day, Saturday. Saturday. Days and weeks, um, I don't know. Um, a show called Shoto Desh. Um, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. Um, Shoto Desh is happening. Um, it is a dance show which mixes contemporary with hip hop and um, um, mime and cut mime, yeah, like miming. <laughs> I don't Very even know, like, interesting. yeah, um, in katak, um, it, which is an Indian classical dance, hmm. and it's going to be put on, it's was choreographed by um, Khan. Uh, and it's the premiere of the Akram Dance, Akram Dance, Khan Dance Company. It has been, uh, it has, is award winning solo, this performance, and it's loosely based on his childhood and explores child and parent relationships. It sounds really interesting. Um, we, I just posted some images from the show on our Instagram, CRTR, Arts Report. Go check it out. Um, they, it is very visually compelling, and it's both for children and parents alike. Um, so, yeah, go check it out if you're looking for family. Um, a family event, a family entertainment. This is definitely something to check out, and it um, seems super cool. And Margarita will be doing a review for it next week. Yay! But again, don't trust us. Go out there and go see it. You know, I know. <laughs> we're super just uh, three college students. <laughs> um, another thing that's going on is the clip kits. Sorry. Uh, Kits is doing getting uh, their upcoming Kids Classics at St. James Hall on Sunday, November the 25th. They seem to be doing like a lot. It's like a, it's a huge concert. It's like it's Kids Classicals plus Worlds Beyond concert. So there's like a lot of professional uh, musicians coming in and it looks like it's going to be like super fun. Um, and they're like giving out in juice and cookies, I think, for free. Nice. Um, I know, free stuff, always really good, <laughs> especially mm. cookies. Um, and I think you can get in, it, from what it seems, you can go in by donation. So please donate, be sweet. Don't be like, I'm coming in, showing up, eating all the cookies and jetting out. How'd you know I was going to do that? And she's looking straight at it's me. It's because I do. <laughs> it's because like, that's like the temptation in me, but I'm also like, Donations. <laughs> Is that um, the the event that's showcasing the community music? Oh, um, uh, I think that's a different thing. I 
I don't know. <laughs> okay. What um, kind of music is that we're going to be like? It looks like there's going to be Mozart uh, and Rebecca Clark. Uh, they're all doing by uh, being performed by a uh, clarinist, Joanna Hauser, violist. Uh, you don't have to say the names. It's okay. Yeah. Clarinet, violin. That's cool. Violin and pianist. Nice. So it looks like really going to be like a lot of fun. It seems. Uh, and like the violinist is Twana Popov and pi- pianist is Mon- Monica uh, Popa. I don't know how to say her last name. I guess name. I'm you do so have sorry. to say the names. Um, I was just saying them because they're. it looks like they're all female artists. Oh, And cool. you know me and my love for female artists. Woo, it is woo, woo. a plenty. Um, I love them so dearly. So that's going on, and it's going on on November the 25th, Sunday at 4. So definitely go check it out. Looks like it's going to be fun. Nice. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, and now we get to the reviews. Yeah, the best part of our show, guys. Wait, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> oh, my God. Are we going to talk about What You Do About Nothing? What? Yes, what You Do About What? I know we already did a review on it, but now we're going to do, do it again. Because it's different people. Because it's different people, different views, different things. Um, yeah, and it's only going on until this Saturday, unfortunately. We wish it could go on for longer. I cried. But it was so good. So good. <laughs> the, the, what I like to... I have to give a huge shout-out to... Uh, the two, the actress and the actor for Beatrice and Benedict. Yes. And the, they were amazing. Thankfully, um, we were able to get an interview with, with Beatrice. Beatrice yeah. Uh, so if you want to check it out, um, go on our podcast and um, there's an interview with her. She is such a great, she has such a great personality. She's so cheerful she, and yeah, so, so passionate so about fun. what she's doing. Uh, that was uh, Daylene. I hope yeah. I'm saying her name right. I say it like so softly because I'm like, I hope I don't say it wrong. Uh, but yeah, she was a lot of fun. It was awesome having her with us. Um, and you could definitely tell both her and the actor for Benedict were just having so much fun. They were just, they really took up the whole scene. Yeah. For me, I loved them and I wanted to see more of them. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think that that's also part of the characters. Because mm-hmm. like with Beatrice and Benedict, I just always want to see more of them. <laughs> but something, someone that I did not expect to steal the show the way they did. And just that every time they came on stage, I was just like hooked on them was um the actress that played um what's his name oh my god i forgot the name of the character the guard the oh oh yes one of the guards uh, really took the show yeah and not only that because she played that part which is a minor part but she also played little perf little pieces like little other parts throughout the show and every time she came on scene it was just this like I know she's going to be great. I want to watch her more. <laughs> like, I just couldn't keep my eyes off of her because she was amazing. Um, yeah. And it, it was something that this is such a minor part. It's a part that is so easily overlooked. And she just made it come to life so vibrantly and just added a whole new layer of comedy to the play, which was amazing. Um, the set also rotates, which is, as you guys know, the me and my love for set designs, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, rotating sets or sets that are un- unusual are always, always have a special place in my heart. And, well, yeah. I think the 
person that we're talking about that we very much loved. I believe it is Elizabeth Young. She was made one and Dogberry. Yeah, Dogberry. That's her yeah. his name. No, yeah. they were so good. They That's they had funny. a true personality that really shined through that kind of shows that like even like the like kind of not like the main roles, even like the supporting roles, if you really just go out into it. It's just a lot of fun, and nice. you're gonna have like a good time. She was amazing. Yes, yeah. I remember her dearly. Because <laughs> like right as you said her, I was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's and it's a really great play. Even if you don't, oh, you're like, oh, I don't like Shakespeare. Like Much Ado About Nothing is one of those plays that it doesn't matter that you don't like Shakespeare. You're gonna get the jokes. It's it's a comedy for that is just so light. Um, it just makes me so happy. Like, I left the theater feeling like I was, like, floating on clouds. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Go watch this it, please. Weekend. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, you don't have that much time left, at least for this production. I mean, at the same time, much of it, I think, is a timeless play. Yes, it is. And this weekend, I also watched Mortified, which it, which was the world premiere um, it's the play written by Amy Rutherford and directed by Anita Rochin. Rochin? Rochin. Yeah. Um, it was, it happened in Studio 58 and it's going to go on until December 2nd. Um, again, with Studio 58, I just, I can't praise Studio 58 enough by their spectacular use of space. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been there, um, but if you have a chance to go to Studio 58 at least one time, um, it's definitely worth it. It's a small theater, but it does not feel like a small theater. And like that intimacy you have with the with the stage is really great. It puts you into a completely different perspective when you're there. And again, every time I go to Studio 58, I'm like, they've done everything. They're not going to do anything I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm surprised. So with this play, Mortified, um, it is a very tense play. It does deal with um, a lot of um, uh, trauma, traumatic content, um, trigger warning. I'm gonna. Oh, do they do? Do they yeah. do? Ta- do uh, they, they don't give. A, I'm saying trigger warning because I'm gonna mention a few things that are. Oh, that, does the show do a trigger warning or no? No, no, no. because oh. it's not. But the, the thing is like. The sh- if you read the description, it's obvious what's going to go on. Yeah. And it's like, there's nothing explicit, but at the same time, um, there's nothing explicit. The descriptions also aren't explicit, but you can take a lot away from just body language and all of that. So it's basically a show about um, this woman, and she's never named. She's only called woman and girl. And she's having this conversation with girl, who's her younger self, who who was abused or, and I'm not gonna give away, but um, more than that. But yeah, she had this really traumatic experience when she was a girl, and she hasn't been able to let it go, as to like move past it as an adult, and that is influencing like negatively influencing her relationship with her partner. Uh, like in the now 
And so it's this constant back and forth between girl and woman. And they have conversations with each other where like you are me and you and I am you. But at the same time, she's like, I am not you. Uh, You are not me. And like, when do you become the adult that you are now? Or like, Mm. have you always been this as a child? So it brings uh, some interesting questions regarding that. And the entire play is set um, in a pool. Yeah, it's set in a pool. And um, so the way they did the set is basically you're inside the pool all the time. And they actually rendered the pool so perfectly. Like you're literally you look at the set and you're kind of like a little disgust because that you know how like old pools have that grimy um, walls and like the corners are like darkened by like the water. Yeah, they got it so perfectly. And like you walk on, you walk in, you're like, I kind of want to see it. But at the same time, it just works so well. Um, Also, their ins and outs such good choreography with their instant like coming on scene and off stage like on stage and off stage um because it was like four different doors so it's like it's a lot of choreography and it's a pretty big cast to do all of that at the same time and then um the reason it's set on the pool is because as a kid as a girl um she was a synchronized synchronized swimmer Mm -hmm. yeah so she did uh she competed with synchronized swimming and um, uh, her life kind of revolved around that, started from that, like, you know, a lot, like when people at a young age start competing, it kind of becomes whatever sport um, they're focusing on. Um, it also deals with like grief and personal ex- and like very personal how do you like and also and i the reason it's called mortified is because it deals a lot with the shame you know because it's not you see the moments where there she wants to get out she wants to like change but there's just this shame that is attached to her to her actions that weren't really her actions you know she was like pushed to do that and um how that shame is kind of like mortifying her in a way that is drowning her own personality out is like kind of like involving her so much she's doesn't know where to go what to do with it and it gets to the point where she confronts um her abuser years later and that's part of also the uh the play where like how do you deal with the with it now like how do you confront that person and that person didn't see those events happening the same way mm-hmm. where he's trying to convince her that it's all in her head you know yep and then one character that i was really intrigued by was the trainer and i do want her um the actress that she was sorry i'm looking for the name coach cindy played by jesse liang and this character she also serves as a narrator but 
she's very interesting because it uh the play also talks a lot about sexuality and like how you deal with your own sexuality and all that stuff and she feels at the same time what the girl always wanted to be like this hyper sexualization of a woman but at the same time like we see her as maybe like there's too much there's something there's some disconnection there but she has but she plays coach cindy so well that every single time she was on stage i just didn't want to get my eye like take my eyes off of her it was a really good play if you guys do have a chance to go see it please do it's going on until december 2nd um on studio 58 olangara college uh, university um no so college yeah Yeah. (laughs) sorry no problem Uh, i sometimes college university two words anyway uh yeah so this is it for us today yeah yeah we have thank you so much for (laughs) listening to us uh we'll see you guys next wednesday this is the eyes of war with iliana (laughs) lua and margarita signing out see you guys next wednesday bye Bye.